Not afraid to tell it like it is. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon till 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, let's head down to the courthouse. Alex Pearson, of course, covering the Tim, Bos- uh, Tim Bosma murder trial. And over the course of this week, we've heard from Dellen Millard's lawyer. Uh, we've heard from uh, Mark Smith's lawyer in their closing arguments. Now the Crown is on the stand today. Alex is with us now. Good afternoon, Alex. How are you today? Hello, hello. I'm very well, thank you, sir. All right, I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to explode your brain here for a second, and I'm it just take much these days. <laughs> I'm just and I, I just we talked this time yesterday, and I know that Smitch's lawyer continued on the stand yesterday. What was the end of his closing arguments like? Well, he put up his arms in the air. I'm not even kidding. So it was quite evident that uh, by the lunch, like after I talked to you, his second performance wasn't quite as commanding because he was going back and revisiting things. And, of course, he did his closing argument off the top of his head. So you're, you're not on a script. And, you know, sometimes you kind of repeat yourself. So he was a bit more repetitive. But nonetheless, as, as only Dungy can do, he really did finish off his, his closing with, you know, a lot of panache, a lot of um, theatrics. And not because he tries, it's just who he is. And, you know, he called Dylan Millard an elitist. And he said, that's just my opinion. But look, you got this rich kid, this entitled kid, and he's putting his arms up in the air and he's saying, he did this. He did this. You know, he's rich. He's untouchable, that Del Millard. He's kind of mocking. <laughs> no, he's not kind of mocking. He was outright mocking Dylan Millard suggesting that he was just untouchable. He didn't care about anybody. He didn't think of anybody. It was all about him, and it was what he wanted, and because he had money, he was untouchable. But he killed Tim Bosma and Mr. Smitch, Mr. Poor. And he was mocking his own client, saying, he is just a little weed dealer. He's a little poor, dumb weed dealer. He didn't know to go to the police. He didn't know better. And what he said, which was interesting, is he's not guilty of murder. What he is guilty of is accessory after the fact. And mm. that's what you must find him guilty of. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about that. We've had the discussion, and I've had a lot of people ask, can he be convicted of accessory after the fact? He could if he was charged with that. But I talked to a couple of lawyers today because there's been quite a little bit of a debate around this uh, since Mr. Mr. Dungy made those comments. So I called a bunch of my lawyers saying, am I wrong here? What am I missing? And he, they said, no. You can be found guilty of a lesser offense if that is on the indictment. And the Crown never put accessory after the fact on this particular indictment. So he can be found guilty of lesser degrees, second degree manslaughter. But if the jury believes he is guilty of accessory after the fact, he walks. He walks right out of the... Because the charge obviously isn't there. It's not there. Yeah. And you can't just arbitrarily say, okay, well, you're not guilty of either. Let's just, well, you're guilty of assault. It wasn't on the indictment. How did the judge react to that? Did he say anything? Or yeah. is this just obviously another, another method that Smitch's lawyer is using? Well, it's not just a method. It's a very effective method of saying, if you don't believe that he killed Tim Bosma, if you believe his story, that this all came out of the blue, he just thought he was going to steal a truck, and yes, he cleaned it up, and yes, he was too stupid to go to the police, then he's guilty of accessory after the fact, the same charge that Christina Nubda is charged with. So but is Smitch's lawyer insinuating that they've got the wrong charge for him? It's not that he's insinuating the wrong charge. It's what he's suggesting to the jury is that his client, at best, is, is guilty of accessory after the fact, and that's what you must find. Right. But in doing so, Scott, you acquit him because right. you cannot convict him of first-degree right. murder, right. which is utter BS if you mm. listen to the Crown's case today, because they were very, very, very methodical uh, for quite a long time explaining to the jury 
um, and I've done a report on this that should be airing soon, um, that they, they don't need to pick a shooter. And they we talked need. about we talked about that yeah. yesterday when they kept saying he said, he said. I mean, yeah. it's irrelevant, right? Yeah, and that's what the Crown said today. They said, forget this, pick one shooter or another. It doesn't matter. If you knowingly know that someone, if you knowingly know someone is going to murder someone, and if you somehow aid in the cover-up, you're guilty. You are guilty. So get it out of your head that it's got to be one guy or another. If you find that they both planned and they were both participants, whether they pulled the trigger or not, when they cleaned up, they are guilty Hmm. of planning to murder a man. And that's really important because it's easy to get locked into this he did it, no, he did it argument, and then saying, well, one's innocent and one's not. No, there were both liabilities in it. They were both uh, at fault for this, the Crown argues. So forget all the other stuff. These guys planned, we have the text, so they went through a lot of text saying, look at the language in this. Look at back in February of 2013. They're talking, 2012, sorry. They're talking about stealing a Dodge 3500. Then they had to get the gun. Here's that discussion. They're picking up a gun. Then they needed to dispose of the body. So they buy an eliminator. Here's that discussion. Hmm. Then they needed the proper target. And it could have been Mr. Bosma on May 4th, but then he wasn't available, so they switched their target to Igor Tumanenko. And then when they realized how big he was, they aborted that and said, nah, let's go back to Tim Bosma. But it could have been either man. It just it mattered that the circumstances were right. And where Mr. Smith has a hard time arguing himself out of this, he texted that around the time of February 2012, when Millard is saying his object of desire is this Dodge 3500, Smith is saying, great, great, yeah, great. We need a plan, though, because we can't get caught. We can't mess it up. These are things that the jury's going to look at and say, well, do I buy this argument that he wasn't there? Do I buy this argument that, you know, Mr. Millard is too smart and too rich? Look at the evidence. Look at the conversation. Look at the things they did, like buy an eliminator. Who the hell in their right mind buys an eliminator unless you have a lot of big livestock that's dying? It's just not something that is commonly done um, in this country unless you are a serious, serious farmer. Uh, accused reactions, how are, they, how are they reacting when their lawyer's up and then the crown's up? Certainly, Millard seemed a little bit um, agitated yesterday because he was just getting loaded on. I mean, he was rolling his eyes and kind of just like, give me a break. Um, so he was a little agitated yesterday. Smitch doesn't move a muscle. He's back to his stationary position of not moving anything. Um, he is still very much focused on making eye contact with the jury today. Dellen uh, spends a lot of time writing. Uh, they know that this is the last impression, and the last impression is being given by the Crown. And it's very, very damning, um, you know, especially when they went through all these scenarios of how they can come to first degree. And it doesn't matter who pulled that trigger, Scott. It, they were there, they planned it, and they killed somebody. And then, of course, he went into, of course, there's a, they said, we don't have to prove motive. Sometimes people can just be killers. And I go back to that Andrew Machelsky, uh line when he just said, well, they did it for the thrill of it. That is a huge, huge huge piece of evidence in this uh, trial, because the motive doesn't always have to make sense. The Crown doesn't have to prove motive. They said, sometimes people kill. And then they explain. Della Millard may have been rich, but not necessarily cash rich. 
And he wanted to live this life of going to Baja, racing his cars, but it was expensive. So having a cheaper diesel, which he had expressed interest in as far back as 2009, that was his key. And then they came up with the target date because there were Baja races at the end of May of 2013 that he wanted to get that truck so that he could get on the road and he could go down there. So they realized that they got the gun, they got the eliminator, They've got, they've got what they need. They're looking online for their, their 3500 and they're going to get it. And they did. How are the Bosmas reacting, especially when they hear information that basically, you know, their son was in the wrong place the wrong time? Well, certainly Mr. Leach pointed out it was quite emotional to hear, you know, this, this guy did nothing wrong. This guy did nothing wrong other than put his truck online just to do the right thing of selling his truck and living within his means. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, when you hear these kinds of things, and he says, I know you've got a tough decision to make. We know that this decision is in your hands, and we are, we, are, we are trusting you to make the right decision. And it's, I think it puts a huge amount of weight on the jury. There's no question this jury uh, has a huge task ahead of them. And then, of course, for the Bosmas, you know, Everything's riding on this for them, because anything less than first degree would be just a, a devastating blow to them. Devastating. How does the jury seem to be reacting, uh, especially as things really start to ramp up towards the end, and they, they feel that pressure? Well, they certainly don't show it. I mean, they listen very intently. I, I go back to this, you know, the real, I think the real first moment of drama that we will get from the jury, and this is always when I, I really pay attention to the jury is when they walk back in. When they walk back in from deliberations with a verdict, I will watch them very closely. If they look down, it generally means they've convicted. Mm. If they look at the accused, it generally means they're going to be acquitted. Wow. Um, so I will be watching that very closely. And that's just my observation. I always watch to see, does the jury, are they making eye contact, or are they looking down or straight ahead? So that's when I'll look for them. But right now they're just listening. They will be finished hopefully today. And then after today, they kind of go home and enjoy their last free weekend because Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, we move into the... Uh, charge by the, the judge. They'll come to the court on the Wednesday with their bags packed because that's the day they will go um, and be sequestered in, a, in some hotel in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. No TVs, no internet, no communication from anybody, and that's where they'll decide the fate of these two men, and they've got a mountain of evidence to go through. So, uh, what's going to happen this afternoon? How much time left does the Crown have to uh, with its closing statement, do you think? Uh, well, right now, Mr. Leach is going through all the text conversations, showing the jury. You might buy the story of Mr. Smith, but what does this text say? So he's really going through all the text conversations of May 6th, like the text where Mr. Millard says to Nudga, going on a mission back in a couple of hours, if it's a flop, uh, if it uh, goes well, it'll be an all-nighter. That's hard to dispute. Um, other texts where Mr. Smith is, you know, talking to uh, Mr. Millard and they're saying how tired they are and, and that they're refreshed from their nap and ready to go for phase two of mission digestion. You know, this really gross um, comment that Della Millard made to Christina Nubda, um, who laughed at that. Um, you know, we're going through all those texts so that the jury can see actual evidence saying, you know, for two guys that claim they were so terrified and so taken aback, they sure are comfortable having conversations with each other, hanging out with each other, burning evidence together. So that's where we're at. We're showing the surveillance video of the eliminator pulling up. It's, so it's a lot of just reminding the jury 
take these facts in, remember what we're saying, and remember, it doesn't matter who pulled the trigger. It doesn't matter. The point is they were both involved in the planning. They both killed a man, and they both uh, tried to cover this up. And this will all finish up this afternoon, correct? It, it should. It yeah. should. I think Mr. Leach will get through it today. He may need a few minutes tomorrow. Uh, but, no, we will get to this because they've got a lot of work ahead of them, uh, meeting with the judge, going over this pre-charge. The judge has an enormous amount of work uh, ahead of him uh, giving instructions and not just writing out stuff. This jury has to understand how to do their job. And I go back to this thing called the decision tree, which is now being more widely used by judges around in these big cases. Um, and it essentially is a bunch of branches that, you know, you, you move from A, and if you pass A by answering a question, you go to B. You are asked a question at question B. And if you answer a certain way on B, you got either to C or D. So it's just this kind of um, mechanism that we can talk further about next week. But they'll be given a lot of guidance of how they can come to their decision but it's really really important and it's really technical so uh the crown will finish up today uh so what what will happen monday they don't they won't sit on monday they won't they won't charge the jury till tuesday no the charge starts on tuesday and is expected to go uh two days and so we will come really on tuesday yeah so it, it takes the judge has to you know, take everything yeah. so all these closing arguments he's written i think a lot of his charge already but he will now meet with these lawyers they will give him specific instructions of what he needs to clarify and or correct in what their view is. Right. So they'll have plenty of, I want this corrected, or I want you to highlight this, or I want you to, and, and he'll take that back and he'll decide, okay, I'm going to remind the jury of this point. I'm not going to tell them about this point. And he has to wail that and he has to write it all out and then present it to the jury. Hmm. Uh, it is honestly, it's the Especially over two days, when you think it's really technical. If you're a legal eagle, you love this stuff. I'm not a legal eagle, Uh, so it's like uh, because you have to get it right. You have to be really, really accurate on it. Are we just to expect there'll be be an appeal in this case if there is a conviction? For sure. I mean, there always is. Come on, let's be honest. There always is. If the crown doesn't get what it wants, it'll likely appeal. And certainly, if these guys go down, they'll appeal just because, well, what else do they have to do with their life? You know what I right, mean? Like, yeah. it's just a given, and it shouldn't be read into uh, on either side. It's just the way our system works. They've got 30 days to appeal. Most of them do because, of course, they're innocent. And um, But we'll see, because this jury, I think one of the big challenges for them is going to be deciding if both men are guilty of first degree. Mm. And while it might be easy to decide the fate of one, what can happen in a case like you've got here where you've got two guys accused is that they, they grapple with the other and say, well, I don't know, I don't agree on that because I believe the story. Like, let's say half of them believe Mark Smith's story and half don't. It only takes one to cause a deadlock. Will the judge say any now that, uh, presuming today the Crown finishes, that's it, that's all, till the judge uh, charges the jury on Tuesday, will he address them today in any way and say anything yep. to them about this weekend? Yep, he'll probably say, do not talk to anybody. And he does that periodically, just saying, don't talk to anybody, you know, enjoy your last week. And he's very thankful. He makes us now stand up every time they walk into the courtroom because he wants, he wants them to understand that they're appreciated. And the Crown was very uh, succinct in saying, hey, Thank you so much. We know what you've given up over the last four months because it really is. I mean, for all the whining and moping and groping people do about jury duty, mm. which is our civic duty, and it is our duty in this country to do this if we want the system that we have, you know, it's one thing to go on to a two-week case or a 10-day case and you yeah. can see a mope and grope about it, but this is four and a half months. Exactly. That's a long time of hearing horrific, 
horrific details and not being able to talk to anybody about it. Yeah, you'd wonder how you even cope with that aspect, even when it's all over, when all is said and done. You wonder, you know, we, we talk about the victims and the families and such, yep. but even to be sitting as a juror and have that responsibility on your shoulders must yep. be a tremendous <laughs> pressure. It's huge pressure, especially if they don't come back to the, the verdict that they want or yeah. if they start arguing and, and, you know, passions getting. It, it can be a really daunting task that people don't understand. And because we don't talk to our jurors, we never know. And so they never get to vent. And so hats off to them because they've got a big job. Their family is also going through this. But the thing is, you know, like I've been doing this for 20 years, and I never forget a case. Mm. And I only because I've done it so much and seen so much, I'm not as affected by it, you kind of, you get, you know what it's like. Yep, so you, yep. you get the ability to, carp, you know, kind of detach get used to yourself it. from it, but you're still really affected. These people aren't trained at all for that, mm. and so I mean, it will it will stay with them, and they'll have a bond forever that they will keep in touch and likely talk each other through, and and you know, become friends for life. Alex Pearson has been with us covering, of course, the Tim Bosma murder trial. The Crown finishing up their closing arguments today. Alex, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. We'll chat again. My pleasure. Cheers, Scott.